Section seven of Trees Every Child Should Know by Julia Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Autumn berries in the woods. In the roadside thickets, as the summer wanes, the berry clusters of the shrubby viburnums turn red and soften, and in September change to a vivid or a dark blue. They are very pretty on their coral red stems and look like little plums. Indeed, they are not unpleasant to taste but it is the birds who delight in these sweet, juicy berries, and we are willing that they should have them all. The names Sheepberry and Nannyberry are given to these little trees, because sheep are said to browse on the foliage and shoots in spring. The blueberries of the sassafras, also on coral red stems, are not unlike those of the viburnums in appearance, but fewer in a cluster. The birds take them eagerly before they are fully ripe. To leave them until they ripen would be to lose them to other birds. The dogwood berries are redder than the whorl of leaves that surround the fruit clusters in early October. These waxy berries have taken the place of the central cluster of small flowers, which were surrounded in spring by the four large white bracts. It is the birds who first accept the invitation of these little trees. The migrating hosts turn southward in September, and in October the bird procession is in full swing. We hear them overhead, often so high in the air that we cannot see them. Tired of the long flight, they descend for food and water, and if the neighborhood has many fruiting dogwood trees, the joy of the winged voyagers is correspondingly great. In a surprisingly short time the hungry birds have taken the last one. Far in the winter we shall find red berries glowing in clusters on the mountain ash trees, among the evergreen holly leaves, and in conical spikes on the sumacs, the winter birds ignore these dry, insipid seeds until everything else is gone. Frequently, when winter snows cover up all other foods, the berries of these two trees stand between the birds and actual starvation. So it happens that many a mountain ash is stripped of its fruit during the early days of March, and the holly berries, which have glowed red all winter, disappear for the same reason. The sumacs are rarely stripped as closely as the other two. In September, the hackberry hangs full of its sugary fruits. It is surprising to find a tree which looks like an elm, yet bearing soft purple berries. But this, we shall learn, is the hackberry's way. Under each leaf a long thread grows, on the end of which is a single oblong berry, the size of a pea, but not the same shape. The fruit hangs on late into the winter, if the birds will permit such a thing, and it is a grateful supply of food to the birds that winter in the north. If there were no other reason for planting hackberry trees, they are worth having as fruit trees for the refreshment of birds. The autumn color of hackberry leaves is yellow. The purple fruits make little show until the leaves fall. The bark of the tree is its chief peculiarity. On the trunk it is deeply checked into small, thick, warty plates. The branches are often ridged and broken into warty excrescences that stand close together. The leaves are peculiar. There is no other tree that has not a main vein or a rib which prolongs the leaf stem straight to the tip. The hackberry leaf stem divides into three equal branches at its base. The two side branches are shorter than the middle, but their size is unusual. It is in autumn, of course, that the hackberry earns its name, sugarberry. The bark will guide us to the tree at any season. The leaves fix in mind another important family trait. The berries we may safely taste to find out if they are sugary as we are led to expect. Nettle tree is the common name of the European hackberry. 
you may have read of the lotus eaters who tasting the sweet fruit of this little tree straightway forgot their native land and could not be persuaded to return the wood is tough and peculiarly adapted to make the handles of hay forks and similar agricultural implements young trees are grown for these uses the roots remain alive and send up suckers slender but tall these are cut for walking sticks whip stocks and ramrods for guns older trees furnish wood as hard as box or holly and beautiful as satinwood when polished this is a material which the woodcarvers delight to use the tree is widely planted for shade and its leaves are used as fodder for cattle bad as its reputation is according to the tradition that its fruit had power to rob men of their patriotism yet this is one of the most useful little trees it grows easily and is contented on land that is worthless for other purposes besides the hackberry another big tree in our woods bears a crop of purple berries in september that is the wild black cherry the bark of this tree is dark brown and shining and satiny smooth on the branches it breaks on the trunk into rough squarish plates which curl horizontally at the edges the plates still retain the silky outer bark whose fibers run crosswise and whose surface has many slit-like horizontal breathing holes we are strongly reminded of the birches especially the cherry birch which has dark colored bark and has its name from its resemblance to this tree the thin young bark of the black cherry curls in a very birch-like fashion one difference is very marked the bark of the cherry is bitter with the flavor of the pit of a peach or cherry birch bark is pleasantly aromatic in flavor the fruit of the black cherry is more plentiful than that of the hackberry the close-set side shoots on the new twigs end in fruit clusters two or three inches long and often containing a dozen berries each the sweet pulp is flavored with the bitter taste of cherry pits a flavor found in the sap of the tree nibble the bark or a bit of cherry wood a leaf or the tip of the root and you get the same prussic acid taste i do not like wild black cherries but many people do children and birds seem not to notice the bitter with the sweet they eat the berries as soon as they change color with evident enjoyment cherry brandies and cordials are made from the fruit by people who rely upon old-fashioned home remedies these are the people who chew the bitter opening buds of the wild cherry in spring as they drink sassafras tea believing that spring is the time to clear the blood and that nature offers free remedies far better than they can buy in bottles we cannot wonder that wild cherry trees spring up in the woods in fence corners and along roadsides the birds are feasting on the trees each autumn and until the last berry is taken they are the sowers of the seed our greatest objection to the wild cherry is the fact that its shining young leaves are regarded by the apple tree tent caterpillars as particularly good when the white blossom clusters deck this tree in may we often see a web of white silk wrapping together some of the upper branches day by day the web is extended and the twigs are stripped of their leaves by the host of caterpillars which return at night to the tent and range more widely in the daytime when the tent is as large as a peach basket it is found empty for the caterpillars have descended to the ground spun their cocoons and will soon emerge as winged moths to lay their eggs from which later broods of caterpillars come the winged females are very likely to seek the nearest orchard and lay their eggs in bands around apple twigs many an otherwise harmless roadside wild cherry is a deadly menace to an apple orchard because it breeds the insects which in a second generation become a serious pest among the apple trees 
in the forest the lumberman is glad to find wild black cherry trees of large size the lumber is very valuable for interior finish of houses and for furniture it is hard and close-grained and dark reddish-brown in color with a luster when polished that puts it in the class with mahogany and rosewood it is more often used nowadays as a veneer on cheaper woods parlor cars and steamships and fine houses are very often finished in cherry the small limbs and other bits of the lumber are utilized for tool handles and for inlay work the wood is too valuable to waste the largest berry that grows on a tree in the woods of the united states is the persimmon we should mistake this berry for an apple perhaps when we see it for the first time a little orange-brown apple one or two inches in diameter but there is no core such as apples have though there are from one to two dozen seeds in each fruit the persimmon tree is tall with a handsome round head and zigzag twisted branches it grows from rhode island west to kansas and south to florida and texas it is found scattered in mixed woods and comes up in fence rows and in abandoned fields wherever the seeds have been dropped light sandy soil is this tree's preference although it is a relative of the ebony of ceylon our persimmon is not an important lumber tree its wood is hard dark brown in color and is used for shoe lasts tool handles and various other small articles in the south the persimmon ranks among the choicest of fruit trees the negro and the possum await the ripening of the simmons with eager eyes and the southerner born and bred confesses an equal interest in this native fruit there is a long waiting period between the time when the persimmons change color from green to reddish yellow and the time when the frost mellows and sweetens the pulp and takes away the harsh puckery taste which draws the lips and chokes the throat as if the fruit were a lump of alum the northerner who judges by its appearance only dares to taste this fruit before it's ripe he cannot be persuaded to try it again and he cannot understand the enthusiasm for persimmons that all people in the south feel a simmon tree when the fruit is ripe belongs to the first comer the negro and the opossum come into direct competition for the fruit of this tree you might think the negro would kill the opossum and be rid of his rival he knows too much for that possum and simmon come together and both is good fruit better divide the simmons with the possum and his family then get the fat possum for christmas dinner there is no possum like the one that is fattened on persimmons so it pays to be patient and leave the beast his share of the fruit in a hollow tree or woodpile the opossums sleep by day and trail out in companies to climb the persimmon trees at night to feast they hang by their tails on the branches or prop themselves in crotches of the limbs within easy reach of the soft sugary berries the fatter they get the lazier they are and as the season advances and the fruit falls the opossums are likely to satisfy their appetites with the persimmons they can pick up under the tree along about thanksgiving day or christmas the day of reckoning arrives when the negro hunter comes home with the opossums which have stolen his persimmons the whole score is wiped out by the opossum feast which suitably closes the season persimmons improve the longer they hang upon the trees as late as january or february little trees scarcely a dozen feet high which have been overlooked in the simmon harvest are found to be still hung with fruits exceptionally large and fine to the hungry and thirsty hunter prowling for quail in the underbrush these unexpected fruits are a delightful surprise they are delicious sugary lumps rich in flavor and juicy taking away both hunger and thirst and leaving no aftertaste that is bitter or puckery suggesting their unripe stage 
japanese persimmon trees whose fruit is larger and better in every respect than our native species have been successfully introduced into california and the southern states these persimmons look like great ripe tomatoes as we see them in the fruit stands but these too must wait until they are thoroughly ripe before they are fit to eat the changing color of the autumn woods all through the autumn when the wonderful colors come into the forest leaves we shall see the green of these leaves creeping back along the veins the horse chestnut leaves tell a very interesting story they turn brown first upon the edges if we watch a single leaf for a whole week in september we may see the green gradually draw in towards the central stem and the brown papery borders widen just as if something were squeezing and crowding the pulp of the leaf inch by inch back through the leaf stem into the twig the last traces of green linger along the sides of the veins and before it falls even these leaf channels will be drained dry when the leaves of a sugar maple give up their pulp there are wonderful changes inside each leaf a yellow liquid fills the cells where the green pulp used to be chemical changes in the mineral substances deposited in the leaf cells produce wonderful shades of red and yellow which glow where once the leaf was solid green iron is one of the minerals brought up in the soil water left in the leaf and changed to produce the bright red when the leaf mask of green is taken away the scarlet maple remembers its name in the autumn days it puts on a cloak more brilliant perhaps than the sugar maple which has a good deal of orange as well as red in its autumn foliage the scarlet oak is amazingly brilliant so is the sassafras and the sweet gum the tupelo or sour gum also called the pepperidge has foliage that is splashed and streaked with various shades of red and yellow each little leaf is so brilliantly polished that the tree's beauty and color seem to be doubled by reflection the sumacs of the roadside thickets wear foliage of scarlet each leaf dropping away from the fruit pyramid which rises a deeper crimson on the end of each upright shoot the foliage and the fruit together make a color harmony that is dazzling indeed in contrast with its umbrellas of red leaves are the scarlet berry clusters of the flowering dogwood this tree has the habit of snuggling up against the trunk of large forest trees and reaching its white flowery arms out to us in spring how wonderful they are on the edge of the woods with the green leaves of the larger trees making a background for their flowers in the autumn the same surprise awaits us when under a towering tree with yellow or russet foliage the dogwood leaps up like a scarlet flame against its dark background holding straight out its platformed branches of red leaves tipped with berries like rubies set on the upturned twigs often the trees are stripped by birds before the berries are ripe it is in woods where the trees are numerous that we shall find the fruit reaching its perfection of ripeness and color among the trees that turn to purple in the autumn we may name the white oak and the ashes many oaks turn from green to russet without showing any red or yellow the lindens and the tulip trees and the beeches turn yellow so do the poplars and willows the hickories and walnuts up and down the street you may see the yellow crowns of the silver and norway maples and on the lawns the white birches have also turned to gold the deepest red is on the black and red oaks the brightest red is on the scarlet oak it is not fair to charge jack frost with all the gay colors of the autumn woods perhaps i should say rather that he does not deserve all the credit people give him for painting the landscape with the sunset glories of the dying leaves the cause is the ripening of the leaves themselves as i have already explained frost may hasten the process 
but if a heavy freeze comes in September, before the leaves have colored, we lose our chance for autumn coloring that year. The leaves drop as if scalded, and the trees lose their leaf pulp, which they had expected to withdraw and save for future use. A long dry autumn of warm days and mildly frosty nights produces the finest succession of colors. Countries that have a more moist, warm climate than ours do not have the vivid autumn colors that we enjoy. England, and the countries of Western Europe, are like our west coast in lacking the color changes that make October for us the most glorious month of the year. Our New England woodlands and the forests of Canada are matched in brilliancy by the wooded slopes of the Swiss Alps and the forests along the Rhine and the Danube. In our southern states there is little or no change that comes to the foliage toward the end of the year. The leaves on the trees of Florida are lazy in falling. They wait until pushed off by the swelling buds in early spring. Many trees that shed their leaves promptly each autumn in the northern states gradually become evergreen in the southern parts of their range. The longer a tree carries its leaves, the more battered and worn they become. A tree with fresh, new leaves mingled with old ones is not a pleasant object, at least to northern eyes. This is the way most trees in the south look in spring. If we should travel the world over, and see the trees of many lands, in spring, in summer, in autumn, and in winter, I believe we should all come back to the clean, beautiful mixed woods of our northern temperate zone, and declare that these woods are the most beautiful in the world. In the dead of winter they are budded full of promise. We learn to love them as well in this period of rest as we do in the beauty of their spring flowers, or in the glory of their autumn coloring, or in the steady growth of summer. Each leaf is nursed to a bud that is growing between its base and the twig. Find these little buds on any tree with broad leaves. A part of all the food that passes that way stops to feed this growing bud, and in the late summer the twig provides for the future welfare of all its buds. The thrifty tree withdraws the green pulp from its leaves before it lets them fall. A store of starch is put away in the twig, close to each bud. This is the food supply which will be used in the spring to enable the bud to open and spread its young leaves, or its flowers, in a surprisingly short time. When the worn-out leaf has been drained of all its pulp, the tree lets it go. It has done its work, and given up its pulp to be stored in the twig for future use. It seems as if the tree knows that, with the coming of cooler weather, growth must stop, that the tender leaves must die when frost overtakes them. So it is a frugal habit to save all of the good green leaf pulp, and to cast off only the dry leaf skin. End of section 7